you know, getting up and teaching, um, there's, there's always fears and nervousness. I, lo I love uh, Rich Chafin. He's very encouraging. He goes, I still, I mean, he's been teaching for probably 28 years and still gets butterflies and uh, just nervous getting up in front of people and teaching. And, um, you know, one of, my, one of my concerns is as we're doing communion and I'm up here is not getting that mute button on because then you'd hear my singing and that would really disrupt things. So... I don't want to do that. Um, but the Fun Fest coming up, we are doing another meeting, not necessarily as much as a more of a final planning meeting. We do have two sign-up sheets out there in the foyer. So it's kind of like um, what we do out here in the parking lots. We set it up kind of like carnival little games, and there's different games out there. And so you can sign up for one of those games. Last year, we kind of had like families adopt it. And then we're going to have some bounce houses. And then in the foyer, we usually do some popcorn, cotton candy, and then we lure them in here for the gospel message, and we share the gospel. We do a, kind of an E thing, and we did some mimes we'll probably do again this year. Last year was amazing. We had over 150 people heard the gospel. Several prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. So even if you can't be here, be praying for that. Be praying for that time. It's going to be a blessing. We're going to be getting the banners up this week, and the fire truck out there with signs on it, and painting windows up. Um, so if you guys want to be involved with any of that, uh, see my wife who's in the um, nursery this morning, and we'll get those things in order. Um, so yeah, total blessing that way. Let's pray for this morning. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, just how amazing you are, God, and that you desire just to meet with us here. We pray that we can just lay aside all the cares of this world. And just sit at your feet this morning, that we can just rest in your presence, that we can just lay our hearts before you and you would just uh, meet us here, Father. Just speak to our hearts this morning, that we would just be changed, God, that you would just uh, lovingly, as a father, just correct us if need be, change our direction. Give us your heart this morning, Father, for those in the world that are lost, those who are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing through uh, the book of Luke. We are in uh, chapter uh, 6. We'll be starting in verse um, 36. We've been going through the book of Luke. Um, if you don't have a Bible, Pedro's standing there with Bibles, so I'm looking at him. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible, because we do go through verse by verse, and it will help you follow along with me. But um, so... We're going through the book of Luke, and again, Luke is a physician. Um, he's kind of gone through as an investigative uh, account of the life of Jesus Christ since preparing it. And this morning, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Plain, which is not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Sermon on the Plain, which again, I believe are two different sermons uh, than the one Man than Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. But very much he'd be preaching the same type of message. And we've been going through and we kind of looked at, and the, the last verse we actually followed off with was in Luke six thirty six. It said, therefore, be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And, and that's such an amazing thing to think of how God is merciful with us. And, and we are supposed to be just as our Father in heaven. We're, we're supposed to be as our Father in heaven in that sense, merciful and and it's a hard thing to do, but he expands on that in this next chapter. What does that mean? How does it mean to be merciful? How do we do this? 
And so he was there on the plane. You have this huge crowd that was pressing upon him with all kinds of illnesses, people from every class. And then the whole tone of the crowd changes as he heals everyone there in need. All the leopards, everyone to the last person. And so you can imagine how that changed for rejoicing. And he sits there with his 12 disciples and he begins to teach them this message and, and go through this message. And we're going to kind of pick it up here in the second half. But earlier in the message, Jesus turns the world upside down, turns the world's values upside down. And the things he begins to talk about are, are just different. They, they don't coincide with our thinking or the the kingdom of this world and he starts to explain what it means to be his disciple what it means to be part of this new kingdom you know that that we're not to be seeking after riches and earthly and fleshly desires and and uh, you know people are going to hate us for those things you know and they're going to hate us for his namesake and and we're to love them back we're to love our enemies and, and we're to give to them without expecting anything in return. And so he lays this out and he goes from there and he says, Therefore, because of this, be merciful as your Father in heaven is also merciful. I've shown you mercy. Be merciful. And so he expands on this and he's going to tell us how right here. Verse 37 says, Judge not lest you shall be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, this is kind of a heart attitude. Okay, this is a heart attitude. Um, it's hard to be around, have you ever been around somebody who's very legalistic? Right, They're, and, it's, and they have a standard, and they've taken a standard, and they've taken it to an extent where they're trying to apply it to everybody else. They're always measuring they're always measuring this person up to that, or you're not a much this. And they're always measuring. And what they're missing out on when you're in that situation and you're judging others, you're missing out on God's grace. You're missing. Something's wrong. You don't understand God's grace. And, and the world loves this, right? How many times do they quote just, you know, judge not lest you be judged? You know, it's like their, their go-to, you know. You say, hey, you know, you... You know, you, you, you shouldn't shoot that person. Well, judge not, lest you be. I mean, it's really somewhat that extreme. You know, you, you look at these things and, and you, you go, man. But when you realize God's grace in the situation of we can be merciful because he is merciful to us. We cannot judge. Why? Because we should be judged. We should be under that judgment. Right? We should be condemned for what we've done. We should not be forgiven for the things we've done. But because of God was gracious, we are not going to be judged with that kind of judgment as a believer. We have accepted God's grace. We've accepted that relationship. We will not be judged. There'll be a judgment seat of reward, but there will not be a judgment for your sin. That's forgiven and gone. We will not be condemned. And we will be, we are forgiven. You know, everybody loves John 3.16. What, what about John 3.17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Which is a blessing when you think about it. When you understand how much of a sinner you are and how much messed up you are, it makes it really easy to not be judgmental. You know, I, I, you sit there and people go, oh, you deserve hell. No, we deserve hell now. You don't even deserve to be alive at the moment when you really think about it. And yet... 
he didn't come in here to destroy the world and condemn the world and run around with a science of sinners are going to hell. That might be true, but that's very condemning in a sense. It's the truth. But at the same time, he came to save it. Better have a science that says Jesus can save. You know, we were talking about um, different ways of doing outreach and evangelism and the EE class, it's amazing. I mean, people lie to you constantly. You know, you, you go up to them and you're talking to them, hey, well, scale, scale of one to ten, how, how fulfilling would you say your life is? And how oh, this, and you, if God was more a part of your life, would you think that number would go up? Well, I don't believe in God. Okay. So if you stood before God right now and he said, why should you let me into your heaven? What would you say? Well, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I haven't done any big sin or anything. And then you go on to explain what sin is, and then the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, I'm a sinner. It's like, well, you just told me that the only big sins were murdering people, robbing banks and stuff. Now you just told me you're a sinner. I'm worried. I mean, who did you kill? No, I mean, right? You don't believe in God. You don't believe in sin. You believe you're a good person. But in, in three sentences, suddenly they're worried about what God thinks, and they know they're a sinner. You know, some of these apologetics things, they go out there to prove that people are sinners. Everybody knows they're a sinner. They might lie to you and tell you they're not, but it doesn't take three, three seconds talking to them. They, I mean... I haven't had to go, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, um, ways to prove there's a God, God's existence, we've fallen short. And those things, those are great apologetics, really good in a college setting or something. But when you're sitting there one-on-one, if most of the time, these people don't really have an argument. They'll throw something out like, don't judge me, you know. They throw up a smoke screen, but when it comes down to it, they know they're sinners. Why don't they want to be judged? Because there's something to judge. I mean, if you're a good person, do you care if you're judged? No, then you get justice in front of a judge, right? If you're right, you're in front of a judge, you get justice. If you're wrong, then guess what? You know you're a sinner. Don't judge me. Why? Because you know you're a sinner. Because you know that verdict wouldn't turn out good in your favor. You know, and we, are, we as Christians, when you think about it going, okay, did we come into the world to condemn it? Are, are we saved to condemn the world? That's not what Jesus is here for. That's not why we're here to save them and go, oh, you guys are all horrible and just let you know you... You know, you go to the wrong denomination. No. I mean, whatever it may be, you know, we're here. Jesus came to save this world, the lost, which we were part of. And it's easy sometimes to, you know, while you're driving in traffic, forget that. That the guy in front of you needs Jesus probably. Or some encouragement or <laughs> something like that. You know, not necessarily what, like we would think, like, man, I wish there was a police officer following him. You know, the things you pray for. But you look at this, right? And so we continue on and it says, judge not lest you be judged. You, you, you should, we're going to, you know, we all deserve it. There isn't a, oh, you're not going to escape judgment. We're all going to, there's, there's judgment coming. The only way we escape it is through God's grace. Nothing we could do, nothing we could earn. Through grace you've been saved, through faith. Not of our own works. Nothing you can do. No, no long, matter how long you're a Christian, there's never going to be a point we're going to not need God's grace or his blood who died for us on the cross. No, no more or less, you know. And, it, and it continue, as we continue on here, let's look at this. We're going we're gonna, to, later we're going to, and the judging's not, not that we shouldn't have discernment. Let's make that clear. We, as believers, we should have discernment. Later it's going to talk about good fruit and bad fruit. You should have discernment. Okay, we're, we're not TSA here. We've got to have discernment. Okay, if the old lady's in a walker and everything, don't, you know, we, we can have discernment as believers, okay? You might not want to, per se, profile people, because God will lovingly correct you with that, you know? But, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I just get it wrong. I, 
yeah, my opinion doesn't work well. So, but there is discernment. You can see fruit in a life. You know, you don't judge a book by a cover, but, you know, when you get halfway through the book, it's like, wait, this isn't going anywhere good. <laughs> there's, there's no good moral teaching that, you know. You can see fruit. And, and, and it, sadly, you can see bad fruit. And you can see the harm of it. And, and we're going to look at that a little later here. So there is not saying we shouldn't have discernment, you know. It, it doesn't mean, the, you know, the, 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 our laws, our governors shouldn't judge. No, there, there's a point to judge. This is talking to us and our heart, our heart attitude. And so very much as we're going through, we're kind of going to look at how Jesus is, is the foundation of our heart, the source of our heart. Okay, Jesus is our foundation. Verse 38 says, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is kind of interesting. What would happen is when you go and you get grain in the market, right? You wanted them to do this. You wanted them to take your basket, shake it down, get it tight, press it in there, fill it to where it was overflowing the edges, right? You, you wanted to make sure they got it as tight in your basket as possible. You know, we're going to fill this basket for so much. There, I mean, it's kind of like um, when you go to Panda Express, right? You know, you're like, no, I want you to skimp on... Okay, the rice, a little rice, you know, not, not too much chow mein, because I want more of that other stuff in there, right? Don't fill the whole tray up with chow mein, or I'm going to talk to your manager. No, I mean, you, you want them to get that thing overflowing, right? Until you get in the car and that it leaks out, but, you know, it gets all over you. You want it to be, and that's kind of the thing. Hey, the grace you want to give somebody, the judgment, how, how grace, don't you want that in return? You know, and it's amazing. We can be impatient with more other people and stuff. And I, you think of how many situations, I think of how many areas where, man, am I, am I being gracious? Am I being patient? Am I being loving? Okay, yeah, that person's struggling and I, you know, this and there, there's an issue and, and, you know, I just got to tell them, I got to correct them. Are you lovingly patient, waiting for God's work, giving time for God's work? You know, and, and you kind of look at those things as, as you go through and, and I, I want that measure given back. You want it to be overflowing, you know. And it continues on in verse 39 and says, and he spoke a parable to them. It says, can the blind lead the blind? No. Can they both, or, or will they not both fall into a ditch? Yes, pretty simple, right? Two questions. Can a blind person lead it? No. What's going to happen? And they're going to fall into a ditch. He, he, in Matthew, is referring this statement in the same kind of context to the scribes and the Pharisees. It's not saying we shouldn't lead, but it depends who you're following. Now, if a blind man has somebody who's not blind following him, can he lead other blind men? Yeah, because he's following somebody who isn't. If we are following Jesus... Can we lead? Yes, men, you're supposed to lead. We're supposed to lead our homes. We're supposed to be the fathers. We're supposed to be spiritual leaders. You can't just say, well, Lord, you know, I'm just a you know, humble blind man here. I can't show anybody anything. We'll just end up in a ditch. You know? I know your wife might think of that of your driving, but... <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, I, I've improved a lot. When we first got married, shoot. I mean, they wanted it in our wedding vows that I wasn't going to drive. I, I'm really good at totaling cars. 
and so, th yeah, and other things. But um, that's another story. We'll just leave that. Um, but when you look at it, you know, you can lead. God will lead. You know, it, it's kind of a question. And, and he kind of pulls out these parables. And he says in verse 40, it says, A disciple cannot be above his teacher, but everyone who is a perfect trained will be like his teacher. So you're not... If you're, you're not going to be above, a teacher can't learn more. You can't learn more than your teacher, right? They're teaching you something, that's all the knowledge you're going to get. But if you can, you're a perfect student, you can be as well trained as the teacher. If you're following our teacher, if you're following Jesus, yeah, you can be a well-trained student. I don't know if any of you guys in here would ever get to the point of considering yourself, yeah, I'm perfect disciple of Jesus. We'll deal with that later. No. <laughs> You know, it, it, it's there. We can follow Jesus. He's the one that calls us to lead, and therefore we can lead others. And he even expands this more as we go on, and we will, we'll be looking later. He, he kind of brings this ideal out more of, of how to do that. How can you lead somebody if you're blind, right? And it says in verse 41, And why do you, or, or why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but you do not perceive your plank in your own eye? We can, we can be blinded to our own planks, yeah? And, 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 you know, you look at this. It happens in the Bible, right? You can be so adamant about something. This should happen. You know, there was King David. King David decided he wanted this woman. He took this woman. He had her husband murdered. Prophet comes to him and says, hey, let me tell you a little story. There's a guy who has a sheep, has this one sheep, and he cares for it, and he loves the sheep. Or if you watched Veggie Tales, a little ducky. Um, and you have this one sheep. It just, we're wrecked. This Veggie Tales generation, we're just wrecked. That's all you see anymore. Like, King David the ducky. You know, but there's this sheep, and he loves the sheep, and, you know, the neighbor takes and kills it, and King David's, man, that guy should be put to death. Prophet turns around and goes, you're that guy. You know, I'm glad that we don't have prophets running around all the time. There's my wife, but, you know, points things out. Hey, you said this to the kids, and now you're, oh, come on, that happens, right? As parents, you know, one of your other parents, do you realize what you just told your kids? Do you realize what you're doing right now? Uh-huh. Yeah, we're good with that. But you look at it, and you see this, and we, we're blind to our own planks. And it continues on in verse 42. Look with me, it says, or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck in your, that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Now this is, I kind of got to get a kick out of this portion of scripture. This is like biblical humor here, okay? Because the word plank is like a beam, Okay, I don't know if you guys have been in construction. The, it's almost like the center beam to a house is what it's talking about, okay? So this is, how can you visually picture this? I mean, you can only picture it like in a cartoon. Can you imagine a cartoon character and he's got this beam sticking out of his eye? But then he's running after somebody. Let me help you, you know. I can help. And he's knocking things off the wall with the beam, you know. I kind of have this visual. It's hilarious. It's like... The, the Bible just put it in such an extreme, you know, a little speck and a beam, you know. And maybe that's the biggest thing that, you know, you know, it, it's, it's there. It's, it's kind of hilarious when you think about it. But the great thing with it is it says there's a way to remove it. 
right? We're not left with a beam in our eye because we all struggle with that. We have this problem, you know, and um, we first can remove it. And it's like, how, how do you go through that? How do you remove it? Well, God, through his word, through the Holy Spirit working on you, can help reveal things. When you get in your morning devotions, you're opening the word. God's working on your heart. You're letting him. Not just, you're not just reading for knowledge. You're going, God, change me. I got beams in my eye, and they keep showing up, and there's things I'm blinded to. I need your Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to me. I need your word to reveal truth to me. And sometimes he can do that even through a brother, loving brother, come up and say, hey, bro, what's going on? This is a deal. You know, he can do it through your wife, men. Ooh. Yeah, and, and women, he can do that through your husbands. Ooh, see, now you see like Pinocchio, it's like those beams growing out, you know, starting to judge other people. See, honey, well, wait, watch that beam. You know, it's going to start poking out. And hey, if you're not married, fellowship. People go, oh, why do I need to go to church? You know, I just don't like running into other people there. You know, what are you saying? Well, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm not judgmental or nothing, but I just don't like anybody at church. Why? Because they're sinners. Sounds judgmental. Go, serve, love on the body, and maybe somebody might be lovingly truthful with you and say, hey, there's a beam in your eye. You know? It's one of those things, and, and it's interesting because you hear these terms, you know, I, I, I get a kick out of it. I just love these terms. You get these, you know, newer church terms, you know, and, you know, instead of you could say, well, you know, you need to be in fellowship. Well, fellowship's an old word. We need to be about community. And actually, fellowship's a new word, too. You know that? What you should be, what fellowship is, is accountability. Ooh. Nowadays, that's a scary word, right? But it's one of the main things. I, I, our culture really pushes against accountability, of having those people in your life that are willing to speak into it when something's off, that you're totally blind to. We can be totally blind to things. I, I don't know how many times I see kids that are raised in the church, grounded, homeschooled, you know, wanting to go to the mission field, go off to college, and next thing you know, their lives are destroyed. And it's like, well, what happened? They're out of accountability. They went out there and they weren't prepared because they didn't have people, they didn't have a fellowship, they didn't have people that knew what was going on that were willing to still call them out. And, and it's kind of sad, the state we're in, you know, people go, you know, you want to see the true nature of a man, you know, it's a true character of a man is what he does when nobody's looking. I don't have to figure that out. The Bible in Genesis says what? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We've all fallen. We've all blown it. You know what happens when nobody's looking? I sin. I don't have to. It's stupid to put yourself in a situation where you're not accountable, where nobody's looking. Don't go testing your character. Make sure nobody's there. Your internet, your, you know, there's all kinds of tools out there, covenant eyes, get online, everything else. Be accountable. Be accountable. Make sure there's people around you. If you're single, if you're young, I mean, you can use your parents. That'd be a wise thing, right? Especially if they're godly parents. Hey, I need to be accountable. I need to, this is going on. I don't want to be in this situation. You know, I, whatever this relationship. You're planning to go off to college somewhere where you don't know anybody? You better find out what fellowship's there. Go get plugged into the fellowship. More important than the college is you better be accountable with people. Because destruction comes into our lives. We need people that are faithful faithful guys that can work on that beam in our lives. And then guess what? When that beam comes, when you've struggled through dealing with that sin in your life, humble enough to deal with it, 
realizing you're just a sinner saved by God's grace and not judgmental, it gives you the ability to now help your brother out. <laughs> it's not coming to him, bro, I don't understand, man. You know, you got saved. How do you have that beam? I mean, I never had a beam. I, no. It's like, no, I've had a beam. I've struggled through this, you know. It's amazing. We sit down and, and <sighs> Heidi's not in here, so I can say it. We do counseling with some people, and we start talking, and they start telling us their marriage is when this and this and this and this, and we go, yeah, we've been there. And they call us liars. No, we've done that. I've, I've been you. I mean, I've messed up just as bad there. I mean, we've gone through it, and it's hilarious for us because it's like, what do you mean? You just don't know us well enough. I mean, ask my mom. No, I mean, there's, we've struggled through a lot of stupid things. Tim's very thick-headed. Heidi's really good at praying. You know why? Because I'm up here. And I wouldn't be up here if she wasn't praying for me all the time. You know, we had a lot of sparks. God's done a lot of things in our marriage. And guess what? That's what's marriage for, is sparks and trimming things off. God doesn't go, oh, let's put that person and that person together so they can enjoy the same beam together. No. He wants you to be opposite. He wants friction to come. Heidi is quiet, shy, doesn't like to speak up, and goes along with everybody. I'm the opposite. Now suddenly she talks to strangers. I mean, you know, what happened? It's years of marriage, you know, taking those rough edges off. If you're looking to get married, maybe look for somebody that's godly who's totally opposite than you to get married to. It might be a good idea. Instead of, you know, these dating websites and making sure you're compatible. Compatible just causes, yeah, fruit over time. Anyways, let's look at the fruit of the heart. Verse 43, it says, A good tree... A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor gather grapes from a brandle bush. A good man, out of a good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Pretty basic, right? I mean, you don't expect to go up to a tumbleweed and find grapes. It's not going to happen. What's produced in your life, it begins in your heart. If you want to call that your stomach, like back in the day, or the physical thing, but your heart. What's inside is going to come out. You might be able to hide it for a while, but it comes out. And it speaks. And you might be able to pretend on a, you know, Sunday or a, you know, family events to float through. But it's going to come out during the week. You know, we've, we've had relatives that um, come and they, they talk and, and they talk so godly and everything around us. And, you're, and I'm thinking, don't you forget we have you shared on Facebook. I mean, we know what your life's like. Did you forget that? It used to work back in the day. We had no clue what was going on in your life until Thanksgiving around the holidays. You just heard, now I, I know, and I know you're lying to me. I mean, it's obvious, you know. You see things like that, you know. And um, it reminds me, though, you, you look, and, and what is the source? What is the source for a tree? What is the source for good? What is the source of this treasure that's in your heart that can be brought forth this good? And you think of Psalms 1-1, right? Blessed is the man who walks, or who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of a sinner, nor sta- or stands in the path of a sinner, sits in the seat of a scornful, 
but delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves do not wither, and whatever he does prospers. You want to have a good person? Where's a good person come from? From being rooted in God's word. There isn't, there's people out there that have good intentions in the world, but they are not good people. Ultimately evil. They're respect, expecting something in return. It's not from this, it's, it's on their merit. A real, truly good person is rooted in God's word. That's the source. That's the only source. That's it. And, and, and it's going to bring forth fruit in its season. You know, and sometimes you, you see, I don't know, you ever, you ever see a tree sitting there and it's got all these fake fruit hanging on it? <laughs> I mean, some things you see, you look at different things and you look at certain things and it's like, you know, it's like commercials for stuff. <laughs> you know, commercial and they're like hanging out fake fruit. See what happens if you, yeah, I don't think it happens that easily and that quick, you know. Uh, I personally, have you, you know, you see all these miracle diets and the guys are all buffing a week. Have you ever seen anybody actually do that, that bought something? I, I've never personally met anyone. I've seen them, I've heard them, I've, you know, you hear the commercials, but no. You don't see the fruit of those things. And, and guess what? Fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. And if you just abide and you stay planted in the word, God's going to change you. Because when you read through this and go, man, has there ever been evil that's come out of my mouth? What's in my heart? Ooh. You know, it's amazing when you think about that. It's, it's easy to go, okay, yeah, okay, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in my heart when evil comes out? There must be still some evil in there. God, help me. Change me. And you get rooted in the word, and the more you get rooted in the word, guess what? More of the right treasures in your heart. You know, when those times come that shake you and, and stir you up, guess what? The right things come out. You know, when you're driving in traffic. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did a lot of driving this week. And, and when, you grew up, when you grow up in the mountains and you drive in mountain roads and people don't know how to, it's like, you're burning your brakes. Don't you know how to downshift? Uh, just, some of you guys probably miss that, being in the flatlands, you have no clue. Where we grew up, you changed your, you changed your tires like every, well, the way I drove, you change your tires every 5,000 miles and your brake pads. Up here in the Central Valley, it's like 80,000 miles, the same brake pads. It's so weird. But mountain roads, uh, yeah, a little different way of life. So as we look on, it says, you know, what is the life bread? What is the source of our heart, right? What has it got to be? In verse 46, it says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say. It's like saying, the question is why, not why you call me Lord, Lord. It's like, why do you call me Lord when you're not? When you don't obey me, you're, you're not. This, this isn't a relationship. There's nothing here. You know, and, and it, there's, there's, there's nothing. You know, why bother calling me Lord if, if you're not going to obey? It's, it's, it's a thing. It's... You know, and it continues in verse 47. It says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings 
and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And, and so he explains it more here, but you know, most of it, it's amazing how many people want to come to Jesus and say, yeah, he's my savior. Okay, well, he is he your Lord. Right? John 3.16, right? Jesus is our Lord and Savior. It's not a first and last name. It's a position and a life. You know, um, I was talking with a friend. He's working with a guy, and, and um, the guy was wanting to debate him on all kinds of theological stuff. And I just asked him, I said, so what's this guy's life look like? Is there any fruit? He, well, he says, you know, he's in a period of grace. A period of grace, what does that mean? Well, it means I get to do whatever I want. You know, I'm saved. I'm going to get to heaven when I get there. But no, is he Lord of your life? No, I'm just in a grace period. Like, when's that period? Is there a timer or something you get? Like, hey, grace, when it runs out. I mean, period of grace? No, there's, there's no grace. The, the period of grace you're in is, is, is that, you're, you're, that you're not dead at this moment in suffering, that God's still long-suffering, seeking after you, and you need a change before that grace runs out. You need to ask for all of his grace. You know, Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and even done, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, for you, you, or for you who do practice lawlessness. Talk about heavy. Lord, Lord. And I mean, especially when you're younger, you're raised in the church, it's like, oh no, I need to pray and make sure I'm saved again. You know, it kind of freaks you out. That verse is like, ah, you know, am I deceived? Do I know the truth? Where am I at with this? Well, is there fruit in your life? Do you obey him? Does it affect your world? This word, when it says, whosoever comes to me, you have two people. You have one guy that says, Lord, Lord, and in verse 47 says, whoever comes to me, that's in a, in, in a continuous sense in the Greek word. It's coming repeatedly. And not just listened, but listening. You know, if you're in a relationship with God every day, it's not a question. You know, when I was a kid, I probably should have been a little worried. Why? Because I, you know, I was just a kid. I don't need to read my Bible and do devotions every day. I'm young. No. If you're in here and you're young, take advantage of the time you have now to build that relationship. Open a Bible daily and say, hey, God, speak to me. He doesn't care if you're not 18 yet. He doesn't care if you're not graduated yet. He doesn't care what grade you're in. He wants to speak to you and have a full relationship with you. And there's, trust me, it'll save you a lot of headaches in the future than waiting. I know there's a lot of older people in here who go, man, that would have been so awesome if I would have just when I was younger. Just been serious about God being the Lord of my life and directing my life each and every day. Lord, Lord. But seek him. Those who come, who are hearing, who do the will of the Father. Do you wake up in the morning and are you seeking what you want to do or are you seeking what he wants and his will and his direction? Oh, no, we're all in trouble, huh? It's like, uh, sometimes, you know. I'm not, you know, not necessarily praying you better get up in the morning like, 
dear God, what am I supposed to eat for breakfast? I have to do that now. I've been uh, found out last week I, I have diabetes, so there goes all sugar, all my diet, and everything else. But I got the numbers way down. Hopefully with diet, get it corrected real quick. But yeah, I got to wake up in the morning. Lord, help me eat what I should. You know, I'm getting over addiction, detoxing. If I say something wrong, I'm sorry. I'm a little jittery with no sugar and irritable. Or I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I haven't noticed anything. But don't talk to Heidi. So, <laughs> Abigail's being quiet. She's a good child. So, um, but you look at those things and you go, okay, what are you supposed to do? You know, I. When, when you're considering God's will and direction for your life, what's your plans for the future? Okay, you're in high school. Okay, what career, what things? Does God have a better plan? Is he Lord of your life? Do you trust him? Oh, you're getting into retirement. God has a plan and a will for your life. I know, some of you are thinking, oh, we got out of this one. Nope. You know, the only time you get out of it is when you're like six foot underground then you don't got to worry about God's will for your life in a fleshly sense because you're there. Good. That's the only time you arrive in your Christian walk, by the way, is at that point. But we continue, and we continue walking, we continue obeying. We continue declaring him Lord in our life. And in verse 48, he says, He is like a man who built his house. So the comparison of these two guys. We have one guy that says, Lord, Lord. We have one guy that's seeking God in fellowship with God, is current, is in his devos. And he, verse 48, it says, he is like a man who's, who builds a house, dug deep, and laid the foundation on the rock. And it's not just any rock. It's the rock. Jesus. And when the floods arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who hear, heard and did nothing is like this man who built his house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of it, that house was great. You know, when you look at the scripture and you go through and you see this example, you know, there's going to be storms in life that come. They're going to come. And they're going to be hard. And they're going to shake you to your core many times. You know, and the only time, sometimes you'll see it. You'll see a storm hit and it's like, what happens? And, and sadly, when you see a whole house totally destroyed, it's not just weathered, it's not just beaten, but it's destroyed. And we've all seen families and things just laid to waste. Laid waste. You know, and, and a deep foundation takes work. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but man, digging deep sometimes is hard. Central Valley, we have hard pan in the desert. We have this clay layer. I mean, digging in the, we try to dig trenches as a kid, and then, then I met the neighbors who had a backhoe. It was a little funner. But you got to dig deep. And, and guess what? That foundation isn't visible. There's no one you're going to walk up to and go, wow, that guy's got a deep foundation. You might get that impression talking to somebody. Maybe if you do, you know, some inspecting, some discernment, some judging of the structure. 
you get inside around someone, you go, man, there, there is something deep there. I see this building, it don't creak at all. You know, it's solid. But that's not something you visually see. And, and we're all building buildings. I don't care how young you are, you're laying a foundation or if you're already on the 10th floor and there. But when that storm comes, it's gonna rock us. And they come. You know, and, and I mean, deaths in the family, long-term illnesses. Those things shake you, and, and many times it comes back to what's your source? Is it based in anything in this world? Is it based in this kingdom, or is it based in God? Is our foundation Jesus? Is our source Jesus? Is the lifeblood of who we are Jesus? Tor, when everything fails around you, everything in your life, does your heart fail? Or do you have that peace from God and go, no, I see all this falling apart. I see things getting hit, but I'm solid. Because I know where, not in my circumstances, not in my finances, not in anything going on in my life, but in my heart, I know Jesus is there. He's got me. It doesn't matter what the storm does, I'm safe. He can't take it away. If your heart's based in a relationship, somebody else, that can get robbed away. What, finances, riches, what? Thing. One of the questions, the first question we ask just to engage people when we go out with E is, on a scale of one to 10, how fulfilling would your life, you say your life is? Now you have some people that have just hit a storm, they're two. Like, oh, what makes it a two? The other people, man, it's a nine. Well, what makes it a nine? Well, I just got a new car. And what happens if you lose that car? You know, there's, there's things that can, yeah. Oh, it's real good right now until life hits, until the car gets old. You know, those things, and that's where we need to be consistent. And you can sit there and you go, okay, well, do you call him Lord, Lord? Is evil coming out of your heart? Are you really his servant? Are you trusting him each and every day? If you took a calendar and went, you know, today I seek, seek God, what would that calendar look like at the end of the year? It's challenging. You know, what happens if we don't? We can build up big houses, big things, and they look great. They're going to get wiped out in that storm. And it's hard. You know, for some of us, we've built on shaky foundations. We're in a relationship. We're in a situation as it's shaky. Men, we've, we've had a home and a household that's not built on a solid foundation. What happens when you have to redo a foundation? Sometimes you gotta tear some things out. Sometimes you go, wait a minute, that thing in our life, it's on a foundation, and this thing shouldn't ever be in a, on a foundation, and we gotta rip that off. It's gotta go away, that, that thing is, is gonna be destructive. It's gonna cause a fire. <laughs> and I was talking to John this week about his job. He, he does inspections in the different classes. There's a reason they have building inspectors. Why? Because things burn down. But the Bible says what? Man can't even know his own heart. It's deceitfully wicked. How do you inspect something if you have no knowledge, no understanding? He's had to go through years of training to tell people they're wrong. No. But you have to get in the word and you have to let God inspect your heart. Go through it. Be in fellowship. Have not just friends, but godly friends tell you, hey, do you really want to go out with that guy? 
do you really want to, what? You're going to go get this job where? And you're going to work how many hours? Yeah, it'll be great. We'll get a big house for your family. I have a feeling your family doesn't care about the house or the stuff. Or it's not going to take long. They want you. So as men, we're to look at that foundation, especially over our homes. We're the chief builder of there. God's the architect, God's the designer, but guess what? We're the one leading the charge, building it. Let's look at the foundation and be willing to get in there and deal with the foundation, even if we have to take off an addition or two to get back to it and deal with it. Spend more time on the foundation than the rest of the place. You know, one thing being a roofer is you'd be amazed because I get to the finished product. Any mistakes that generally happen below are going to show up in the roof. And when I'm sitting there and I'm doing a roof and you go, you know, you want to keep a roof square, right? And I always chuckle because you get these guys that want to like chalk line every quartz a shingle up to the ridge. If you do that, it's going to look crooked. Ask a tile layer on the floor. You don't run tile square. Why? Because none of the walls are square. I've had roofs on, on homes that are custom homes with really good builders and one edge of the roof to the other edge of the roof is three inches different. Okay, that's a half a shingle, or a shingle. You know, you got to fake that. You got to, you know, there's a skill to it. You got to learn, you know, and that's where, you know, if the foundation's off, everything else is going to be canny wampus. Things are going to fall apart. Things aren't going to work properly. And so this morning, just what an encouragement, though. What an encouragement. That beam can be removed. Those things that are going to destroy us, we have a foundation to build on. We have somewhere safe to be. We have somewhere where you can take your heart and you can entrust it to God. You know, one of the things, and I've mentioned this before in our marriage, growing and and learning those sparks coming off, Heidi wanted to trust me with her heart. No, that's a mistake. She didn't want to hear that. But you're the spiritual leader. No, you need to trust God with your heart and obey him. And I'm going to obey him. And God's going to draw us together. But you're not to trust me. But you should this and you should. No, I'm going to blow it. (laughs) She didn't like hearing that very much. I was not very gracious. You know, but you look. And no, I'm not Jesus. I couldn't be that for her. There's nobody. There's nobody in this whole world that's going to be that rock, that's going to be that foundation you can trust your life, you can trust your heart in, that that's going to be the source. And not just a one-time thing, a daily thing, each and every day going to him and saying, here's my heart, Lord, guide it. So anybody in here have a good idea what's the best thing to do next week in your life? Job changes, careers? No, I have no clue. Why? Because God hasn't shown me that far ahead of time yet. Today, God, what do you want me to do? Today, what do you want me to do? And then a point, you look back and you go, wow, this has been a blessed life. This is amazing. You know, we, all the things Heidi and me have gone through, why? What, why? The only thing that's kept us together was seeking God. Marital problems, financial problems, relationship problems, problems with your kid, all come down to a lordship issue. You know, the, 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 the counsel um, that I love and is totally faithful, if you're having a problem in your marriage or anything else, get together, get in the word, seek God, and let him change your heart. And when he tells you to do something in the scripture, don't just say, oh, Lord, Lord. No, obey it. What a concept, right? 
not just hearing, but obeying. Oh, wow. Groundbreaking. It's amazing how many times the Bible has to, has to, and I mean has to teach the same thing. Why? Because we're stubborn and we're dumb. Read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Sunday school, my mom taught me that singing. Okay? Don't read your Bible every day and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And we just go up and down, you know? It's basic. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for just how amazing you are, Father. That you are our solid foundation. That we can trust you fully with our heart. That no matter what's going on, no matter the storms of this world, we can just have peace in you. And that you meet with us, Father. And you love us so dearly. God, you've always been so faithful to us. To what I just see how many times in each and every life of the, just this family here, you just meet us, Father. You take care of us. You care for us. Father, there's nobody greater than you to take care of my family and my wife and my kids. There's no thing and nobody else I could ever entrust to you, Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.